This Week in Startups is brought to you by Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. For the challenges you face as a startup founder, Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub is here to help. The platform provides founders with free resources like Azure Credits, development tools like GitHub, mentorship resources, productivity software, training, and so much more. The program is open to all and takes five minutes to apply with no funding required. Learn more and sign up at aka.ms slash This Week in Startups. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. Two amazing guests here to go through the news. Molly is on vacation spring break. I hope you're enjoying it, Molly. Uh, Antonio Garcia Martinez is back on the program last on episode 951 back in 2019. It's been almost uh, three years. And uh, of course, since that last appearance, he was hired by Apple, yada, yada, uh, then subsequently left. This is his fourth appearance. And uh, his last appearance, paradoxically, was doing a news roundtable with Zach Coleus. Since then, Zach has been doing the reoccurring segment on the Swing Startups, Ask an Angel. He's now been on 12 times. Uh, and I think 15 overall. I'm not sure what the difference is. Who's, who's, who's the most besides you hey, and yeah, besides me and Molly at this point, I don't know you you're up there for sure. Oh, wow, um, yeah. I think Someone Brian, Brian Alvey has been up there. Uh, but you, I think have been on most consistently because of the ask an angel segment, which we've been doing monthly. So thank you for doing that. Uh, it, you know, it's great to have uh, you back on Antonio uh, after your triumphant Joe Rogan appearance uh it was actually a really he, great episode i just yeah, listened Jason, to it I, I think in order to make your ego even bigger you should think about it rogan opened for you that's that's how you should think about it yeah rogan opened for that's right, that's right. <laughs> uh, well you know um i do know that um yeah a number of the guests here have been appeared there but i i think he probably found out about you more through twitter because he's a twitter guy too um and i think he said that on the show that he, he follows your twitter uh yeah. but just tell us like being on the number one media property in the world like it's not even a podcast it's bigger than any of the nightly news programs so what has life been like a week later for you dude everything is just different the the sky is bluer sugar sweeter women swoon in my presence nothing has changed dude i just get a bunch of random dms and then like a 20k bump in followers but it is interesting rogan is an amazing lice individual we we've been twitter mutual follows for a while we've dm'd a couple times and i sent him a nice note of sympathy after his little travails with spotify given my own experience with apple and he just responds and say, hey, well, well, you know, why don't you just come on the podcast? I'm like, okay, sure. I'll come on the podcast. And it was supposed to be like an Apple cancellation, this and that, or, you know, Spotify, whatever thing. And then I went to Ukraine. And uh. the weird thing is I was stuck in Ukraine. And as you can imagine, in, in, a, in a conflict region, transport is a little bit iffy and it's hard to get around. And I'm like, dude, I got to be in Austin in like four days. <laughs> I can't just take her out. <laughs> and I would have stuck around. Like, I kind of regret it now, particularly given the course the war has taken that I didn't push on to Kiev. But, you know, friends were actually telling me the ultimate power move is to like zoom in from Kiev and say, sorry, bro, I'm in like in a bunker. We got to do it remotely. But <laughs> he, he, he refuses to do shows remotely. And so it's like Kiev, Rogan, Kiev, Rogan. I kind of wimped out, I have to say. And like I got back on the bus and all the rest of it and like got my ass back to, to the United States. But it was great. You know, he's um, 
He's a shockingly, distressingly normal, nice person. I was like hanging in his little setup there with his bros for half an hour before the show, very casual. Like, if you didn't know what he is, you would just think he's like some ripped middle-aged dude who's into MMA. Like, you, you would have no idea that that's Joe Rogan. He doesn't carry himself like some major celebrity or anything. He's just a very nice, chatty, intellectually curious guy who runs a very lightweight operation and, you know, makes hundreds of millions of dollars a year. <laughs> it's All incredible. right, Zach. So, I don't know. Top that. Kiev and Joe Rogan <laughs> in the same week. How was your week? What did you do? You, did you? I made a really, really good espresso this morning. Really yeah. nice. How world, many grams did you class. do? It's the little twenty two grams, twenty four grams. You tapped it down. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm so happy and so proud of Antonio. I've known him now since he was uh, just a little PM, and like watching him grow up and become the the big boy that he is just makes me feel uh, deeply, deeply honored that I get to be in his presence ever. It's kind of like uh, your, your, ability to, your ability to both having become a VC has like tripled. It's incredible. Yes. The ability yes. to just like butter somebody's muffin has just. Increase that muffin. Just, you just do have to butter the muffin. On. Absolutely. You're like, <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm not going to invest in this round, but just to keep my optionality open, it's the most brilliant product I've ever seen. I mean, I, this is the slam dunk of all slam dunks. And the founder's like, so can you put 250K into this round? No, no, no. no. I talked to my partners. So we can get there. Timing issue. I got this capital call. And, you know, Antonio and I have to have, to have dinner tonight, but he just canceled on me. So I'm a little butthurt. Like, you know, it's brilliant. I mean, it's truly, this is really a brilliant idea. I mean, that's what I love. It's like the sugar coating is absolutely amazing. I actually don't do that because having been on the other side of it with douchebag VCs, oh God, it's the worst. I hated that as an entrepreneur. I was like, you, like go yourself. Instead of doing that, that what is your go-to when you're saying no? Because you got to say no more times than you say yes, obviously. So what's your go-to? Yeah. Yeah, So the thing that I found- the thing that I found that works really, really, really well is just be super candid about the the actual things in the business that they need to improve and take to the next level. And like, okay, here's what you need to fix. Like, here's what I need to see and be just like, and tell them when their baby's ugly, like the more aggressive I can be about that. And what I found is, is by being candid creates this awesome filter because the entrepreneurs who don't want to hear that their baby's ugly, they're like, that guy i'm never talking to him again and right. i never want to talk to them again because they're not my people whereas the people who are like "Ooh, tell me more i'm like oh this might be my person and then like over time we can build a relationship and and so like by actually being candid it it, it actually is a win-win so buttering is actually the, i think the wrong approach for picking it your is founders. you just have to be careful with certain cohorts of folks i found when i was super candid in my early days with certain accelerators Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, where people might mm -hmm. have felt that they were you know ascendant they really took it the wrong way and then you know would write reviews of you like you know uh jason do do you always grind the yc axe every episode or just when i'm here (laughs) just just when you're here just when you're here okay that's what i thought okay that's what i thought okay that's what i mean it's it it has level set though i think now that there's so many yc founders it has I think humility got back into it like the, hey, yeah, you know, we're we're trying to figure this out because there's so many, right? And they're not all clearing. When it was 50 people, they just all cleared market like walking off the stage. It was really a weird moment in time. Um, but the two I like best, um, I think both of them came from Ruloff at Sequoia, which was um, uh, not yet. It's not not yet for us. Um, you know, and, and so, well, that begs the question, well, wh- what would we when? need to achieve? So I actually train a lot of the founders hey listen if you're 
don't do this stupid thing, Antonio, where people, people gave this people's advice, like, oh, you know, I, you, you're saying no, can you tell me three more people who might say yes? That's the worst. Because like, yeah. you want me to email a deal I said no to to three of my friends, like it's the worst signal ever. Uh, but not yet is great. Because it's like, well, what would I, I just tell all my founders ask them like, hey, listen, it's great meeting with you. Can you tell me two or three things that I would need to, you know, notes I would need to hit or achievements or milestones that would make you uh, interested in maybe taking another look like a revenue number or number of users or growth rate. And man, two out of three people just reply back. Yeah, like if you're growing 10 20% a month consistently, yeah, that would be a good time for us to talk. It's really that simple. Like all of a sudden the whole thing is unlocked. The other one I like is uh, we have to prioritize other investments at this time. So I see all the kickbacks from folks, because founders will forward it to me, hey, you know, I met with this person, here's what they said. Um, and I, I also like that one. We have other investments we have to prioritize at this moment. It's like, you're not as good as the other folks that we're meeting with. Pretty, pretty good rejections. Uh, Antonio, tell us about the rejections uh, you specialized in, obviously, uh, being rejected. Oh. Consistently, tell me the oh. rejections that oh. you've... My rejection rate is surprisingly low, I, which probably means I'm not trying hard enough. I should, I, my rejection rate should be higher on. Yeah. I actually, I don't deal, I don't deal with rejection. Well, it's like many things. Like I know I have this public persona, but I'm actually not a narcissist. I just like play one online. I'm also not really this like risk taking swashbuckler. I, I kind of hate it. And so I, in, in life, I actually don't take that many wild risks, I think. And so yeah, I, I, I mean, don't know, I don't, I don't get rejected that often. You, but, you, yeah. When you do get criticism, what happens? It's just like, you just lose your mind that you want to like, I just, I just lose it? my mind. Yeah, I just, that's right. I just load up the air 15 and fire rounds in the air. If I'm in Nevada. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Of course, I don't do that. I don't know. Um, I usually just block the person. I just don't want to deal with them. <laughs> that's totally avoidant behavior. <laughs> you take the mark and recent approach, which is just. I, oh, yeah, no, no, no. I'm totally with P Mark on this one. I, in fact, I wrote a post about the, the joys of blocking. You should epistemically block whole sections of the world you don't want to pay attention to. There's an appeals process, by the way. I pardon people occasionally. And ah. I, if, if, if another friend says, you know, I think you really misjudged this tweet, I'm happy to lift the... Sometimes ah. I actually unilaterally unblock people. It's like, you've been in the doghouse long enough. I'll take you out because maybe you're interesting enough. But in that one little thread, you were kind of nasty. So, but I, yeah, I'm super fast on the... Oh, on the so you button. open the gate. You just don't tell them the cell's been opened. You just like unlock the cell doors. And then yeah, they can just wander yeah. out and you see... I won't name names, but I, I've done it a few times, yeah. Yeah. I like that move too. I've sometimes I'll go to my block list and I'll just unblock a whole swath of people and just see like, okay, let's see if they can behave. This time. <laughs> yeah, there, there, speaking of suggestions for Elon, now that he's a board member. Oh yeah, there it is. The walls of perception. There's, yeah. There should be a time limit block. Like that's it. Your, your timeout is like three days. Oh I, I'm just my not gonna... God. Clip this and send to Elon. This is the one time I'm going to give you permission to aggregate <laughs> to my team. Uh, what a great suggestion, Antonio. Yeah. Block for 30 days. And then the person gets a oh, countdown whatever. clock on your profile. Yep. Listen, when you're a founder, it's fun to trade your craziest stories with other founders. Recently, Balloon CEO Amanda Greenberg, one of Lunch's awesome portfolio founders, told me how Vanta's SOC 2 solution helped her save an important deal in the final hours. Balloon, if you don't know, sells SaaS productivity and collaboration software. And when they needed 10 documents in place within 48 hours to close a very important SaaS deal, well, Vanta saved the day by supplying customizable templates and helping them through the process to close. So if you don't have your sock too tight, you can't close these major customers and Vanta's gonna really help you get that done so quickly and so easily. Vanta's compliance software makes it easy to get and renew your sock too. They continuously test against technical and non-technical sock two requirements and they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file sock two reports 
directly within Vanta. And on average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks. Compare that to three to five months without Vanta. And guess what? Vanta's going to give you $1,000 off right now. So get the $1,000 off at Vanta.com slash twist. Once again, Vanta, V-A-N-T-A dot com slash twist for $1,000 off your SOC 2. Or uh, they see your tweets, Antonio, on the Golden Buy, and it just said, you'll be able to see this tweet in 29 <laughs> days. That, w- that would be minutes. nasty. As much as I'd like that, I don't think that would actually create a good, uh, a good, impl- oh, look, they're going uh, down my, my, my Twitter stream. I, by the way, I just posted another piece on the, on the Ukraine situation about the refugees, uh, yes. which you just, that one that you just scrolled by as a total plug. But, well, yeah, um, let's, let's go, let's go to that. I mean, this is okay. unbelievable. You obviously people know you do the poll request. Right. Uh, which is the pull request.com. Uh, it's a Substack email newsletter. It's exceptional. Uh, and you're part of the Substack authors group, I guess. Um, and we're selected for that after Apple disengaged from your services. Yeah. Uh, and you decided on your own to go to Ukraine. Explain the yeah. decision making process there. Yeah. It's funny because I got so much guff for it online. Like I was a war tourist and it was very strange that, um, well, the whole conversation about Ukraine in the US, I think is very strange. I think the U.S. has this tendency, due to its large oceans and the fact that it's an empire, to sort of look at outside events as a projection of their own domestic sort of political neuroses. And so mm. U- Ukraine, not, not for everyone, of course, but for, for many people, I think they debate it, not thinking about what is this actual reality in the world called Ukraine, about which I knew remarkably little, by the way. I've, I've traveled through Eastern Europe, but I never got as far as Ukraine. So I'd never been there before. And I thought it was time to just unplug from this whole ridiculous thing, which, by the way, Dick Costello just tweeted that he was going to do the same two days ago, which I, I was very supportive of. And so I basically just bought a ticket and flew to Warsaw. And after setting up a few calls, you know, for like fixers, and I don't speak any Slavic languages, and it's very difficult, obviously, to navigate without languages. And so I I had a translator and getting around and I I just spent time on the border and then decided to go into Ukraine because like, I don't know, it just you you had to go in and, and go see it and got as far as West Ukraine, a city called Lviv, which is sort of like, sort of the capital of, of free Ukraine. It's where a lot of the staging for extractions is a lot of volunteers coming in. A lot of stuff is sort of based in the biggest city in, in Western Ukraine. And, uh, you, know, re- you know, to be clear, it wasn't that dangerous. I mean, it's kind of out of the war zone, although when I left, it did, there were some missile strikes. So, I mean, not everything in Ukraine is part of the dangerous war zone. Dangerous in the way that maybe visiting Israel is dangerous. The, the right, are, right. Alarms right. will go off. Sirens will go off. Right, right, right. Yeah, oh, yeah, but yeah. It's There's a very sirens all, all the time. But, I mean, you yeah. start ignoring them because there's just so many you don't do it. But, you know, to be honest, I doubt it's... I doubt it's any more dangerous than walking across SF Tenderloin <laughs> on a Friday night, yeah. to be honest. That's probably way more dangerous than entering Ukraine. I, uh, but I was case, literally uh, having this back. Every time somebody talks about San Francisco now, they see, see Zach, myself, whatever, people who've been, you know, discussing it. And like, Kara Swisher's like, I don't know what people are talking about. Like, it's delightful here. And uh, I was like, um, put a camera Kara. around your neck, walk yeah. from the Embarcadero through the Tenderloin and down to the mission <laughs> yeah. and park your car on, you know, with a backpack in it. Yeah. Check back with me in four hours. Like, yeah. Can you imagine how, what would, what would be more dangerous walking down Turk street with a digital SLR around your neck or walking through Ukraine with digital yeah. SLR around your neck? The, I the, think we, yeah. Depends which part of Ukraine, by the way, the best troll of that car tweet was somebody called her car Antoinette, which I thought was kind of funny. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love Cara, but <laughs> She, goes, she wow. does play both sides pretty well. Yeah, oh yeah, she, yeah, she does. Wow. She, can play, she can play. She works both sides. She's like, oh, Jake, Al, very smart. I mean, I don't know about that guy, but I mean, he's he's clever. But I'm not so sure about Antonio. He's, like, he's problematic, but I mean, I do think he's very smart. He's just always but like. She invites two, me to her conference and her podcast. It's yeah, it's weird. Car is it's interesting. It's a very interesting thing where you're yeah. not on the pod. She'll get a couple of daggers. 
then you come on and just like, oh, you want espresso? Are you, are you, are you fills? <laughs> we'll, we'll get, we'll send out. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so yeah. So just a, a wrap to, up on the Ukraine thing. Yeah. I've posted two things about it. Some more is on the way, although I think some subs are, m- might be getting a little Ukraine'd out. Uh, so don't worry, subs. It's not going to be like the Ukraine channel well, forever. Well, the, the point I would love for you to unpack is the disparity. The, the disparity between you know how we perceive it here in America, I think, is like super important, and right. what's happening on the ground, and you know how you perceive uh, Americans on either side of the Great Atlantic and Pacific, and our worldview, right. and the 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 empire, which people can debate if it's in decline or if we suddenly have been given the mantle again. Right. So let me, let me comment like my top two observations, Jason, that I made that were the two posts, and then I'll get to the America thing. So two things, one on, on the border region, which is what I just posted about, there's this enormous refugee crisis going on. Over 4 million Ukrainians have left in about as many weeks about, I think it's something like six or 7 million are displaced internally. Basically over a quarter of the country is now a refugee of some form, either inside the country or outside of it. It's, it's, Europe, or you know, hasn't seen anything like this since since World War II. There are f- over forty million people resigned right. or did reside right. in Ukraine. So you're talking about ten percent, twenty percent of them are just flooding. Have just left in in more or less a wow. month. Yeah, that's that's right. And the weird thing is, as as I describe, you know, you go to these border checkpoints in sort of eastern Poland. Most people are actually coming on foot, <laughs> and it's the demographics are interesting. It's mostly women and children because men eighteen to sixty can't legally leave, and the Ukrainians are absolutely are rigid about that because everyone everything is mobilized to the war effort which is gets to my second point but you've got all these people leaving mostly women and children and old people and they're streaming either to western ukraine and populating the city called lviv which is whose population is like almost doubled with refugees or they actually cross the border and what you see on the border and and again this is one of the differences in the u.s it's seen as this media phenomenon that's going to get sucked into the existing like culture war in europe i think it's it's perceived as being more of a real thing they, they actually have a memory of being a refugee or total war or Russian aggression, particularly Eastern Europeans. And so Europe has just mobilized. You go to the border and, and the Poles are, have been very good about providing basic law enforcement, like basic infrastructure buildings and all the rest of it. But most of the actual aid, like the housing and food is being provided by private Europeans and relatively small NGOs who like literally just show up and decide to feed Ukrainians and house them, you know, from, you know, like I literally have a photo. There's these two Polish, you know, grandmas with like a big vat of soup. And I asked him like, are you part of an organization? And I was like, no, we're just from the village. And we set up this tent that one of the refugees and we just feed and she offered me like a bowl of soup. Uh, you've got I had there's an American there from Richmond, Virginia, who just like flew into Warsaw, rented a car and was just shuttling refugees around. Um, you know, these refugees, they literally, some of them have a lot of trouble getting out. Some of them literally had to avoid, you know, Russian shellfire and whatnot. Internal transport inside Ukraine is kind of a mess. And they literally come across with like those little rolly bags that you carry on your carry on and like the clothes on their back and like a kid with a little toy. And that's it. And there's this endless stream of Ukrainians just crossing the border in that state. And And literally, it's like this, this would be the citizens of Texas accepting people coming across the Mexican border with a bowl of soup and saying, hey, you know, I I converted my garage into a two bedroom, you know, please stay here. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the level of like love and, you know, you know, just absolute compassion europeans have for these people i mean it is it's unbelievable yeah and that's you know it author rebecca solnit wrote this book called a paradise built in hell which is an amazing phrase and it's basically about in these crisis situations rather than things reducing into a mad max scenario which is what people sort of think it is on the contrary humans actually come together and actually create you know the sort of utopia you couldn't imagine otherwise and that's kind of what's happened there because the, there's a spirit of volunteerism of charity like we were helping people out there, there were these germans who had literally just filled the van with medicine to the roof 
and just drove to the border with customs yeah. sources to get them across, but they didn't have it in Ukrainian. And so it was like, they were like stuck. And so my interpreter helped translate it for them. Like everyone's trying to help everyone to get either stuff into Ukraine or people out. And so that was just amazing. It's, it's, it's incredible what's going on at the border. And it's funny how I think getting back to the point of how Americans misperceive it, sometimes foreign journalists go there and report on the story of interest to their audience rather than what's actually interesting. I won't name other independent journalists and what they've done on the border. But in any case, we'll leave that aside. Yeah. The, the other big part of the story is inside Ukraine, the level, I have a post about total war. Total war was this Clausewitz concept of like, all the society's resources would be mobilized towards war, civilian, commercial, economic, political, everything, right? And you know, it's, it's a horrifying concept in a way. And we haven't seen it in the West. The wars that the US has fought have not been total wars. <laughs> if anything, they've been outsourced to a certain class and then kind of forgotten about, unfortunately. Um, but total war, like literally, I, you know, I was there on a sunny Sunday and there were a bunch of like Ukrainian school kids who looked there in high school and their sort of weekend activity was filling sandbags to put them around statues because they were awaiting bombardments, right? And like their spirits were up, they were singing songs. Everyone is like doom scrolling telegram for the latest news, but it's just very perverse. Like all the windows are boarded up in the churches. Um, like literally everybody is either a soldier supporting the soldiers by requisitioning equipment. Uh, there's there's a uh, an acquaintance of mine who worked at Uber who is now like a military sorcerer inside the middle of Ukraine who I interviewed. I'm going to post this interview this week as well. And um, you know, I, I gave him. My, I went with a Starlink unit thinking there wouldn't be good internet, and I donate to him. And apparently, my Starlink is powering internet in some city hall in central Ukraine. Wow! Every, every everyone, and then like the feeling of I, I think what everyone has gotten wrong about this, and so many of the sort of you know. Putin sympathizers or, or, you know, or a lot of the isolationists like, oh, the Ukrainians should just roll over and lose. They've completely underestimated the Ukrainian national spirit, right? You know, and, and the more you read about Ukrainian history, the more it starts becoming clear that like there actually is a viable Ukrainian nationalism. They're dating from 2014 and all these protests that have been in the past. They really have a sense of national. It, it really is to them a nationalist struggle. I mean, sure, NATO and the EU and all that stuff is into it as well. But to them, it really is an expression of, of, of their own nationalism. Like, the phrase Slav Ukraini, which means glory to Ukraine, they almost say like you would say hello or aloha in Hawaii. It's almost a, gre a greeting. Everyone repeats Eroim Slava, glory to the heroes. I mean, it's, it's this weird feeling of, of, of this perpetual pep rally to use kind of a dumb sports analogy, but uh, for this cause and, and everybody's involved in it. And, um, you know, I was interviewing one of these like hacker dudes who's like in, in the anonymous boards and is basically DDoSing Russian websites, which a lot yeah. of them are doing. And, you know, total nerd kid, like classic Silicon Valley central casting tech nerd. And he just describes what he was doing. Zach would find this funny. They were running ads targeted on Pornhub against Russians, <laughs> making fun of the Russian war effort. Uh, he, he sent me some, some screenshots of that. And at the end, he just says, we will win, right? And it's funny, that's, that's a phrase that a lot of Ukrainians punctuate their phrases with. My translator, who is this young university student, very pleasant, very charming, her eyes would get sort of steely and she says, but we will win, right? And it's mm. it's... It's really quite something to see a nation mobilized in that way. Listen, everybody knows Squarespace is the platform where you can build or sell anything. You all know it. I've talked about it forever. We love it here at launch and we've used it for so many different projects here. Here's three awesome Squarespace features that I know founders are going to love. E-commerce. Squarespace has the tools you need to get your business off the ground, including the beautiful templates that we've been talking about for a decade inventory management APIs, advanced analytics, and a super simple checkout process. Plus, on top of all that e-commerce that's been added to Squarespace over the past couple of years, they are mobile optimized. All the websites are optimized for every mobile device right out of the box. The content automatically adjusts, so your site's going to look great. 
whether it's on an iPad or a new iPhone or an old Android, it's going to be crispy. And Squarespace now has a new feature called member areas. What's that? Well, if you want to generate revenue through exclusive members only content, Squarespace is now the place to do it. Like maybe you want to sell a subscription to a cooking class with custom recipes, or maybe you have piano tutorials. It's all available to you. The possibilities are endless thanks to member areas. And this can all be done in Squarespace's super easy to use platform. So here's a quick call to action. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial today. Squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code twist and you're going to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. So, um, so the question I have is, I don't know if you remember, but you and I once had a very drunken debate at the, the front porch about like if the US went to war and like whether or not we would go fight. Yeah. And we were, we both got wasted and were yelling at each huh. other aggressively by the end of it. And at the time, I remember now. saying, yeah, yeah, th- like that's what we have to do. So do you think, what would, did your, now that you've actually seen it, has your mm. position on that changed? You know, it's funny, there was a poll towards the beginning of the Ukraine war that showed that a shockingly large fraction of Americans would not, in fact, fight. And in fact, there was a Republican-Democrat split, which the GOP made a lot of. Um, I think it's a good question. I, I think the number is probably higher than the... I think, unlike polls that typically skew like the other way, I think the number is probably higher than the poll revealed. I think if it actually happened, more people would fight than you would think. But I think a lot of people wouldn't, actually. Yeah. But I think, I think actually, like, I think that's the argument I would make is that when you put people in a place where it's existential crisis and true horrors, it's amazing what happens. People come together in a way that they wouldn't it beforehand. They're fighting over pronouns beforehand, but suddenly it's like, oh, hold on. There's more important things to worry about here. And like, I've always been an optimist when it comes to our country, when it comes to people coming together when they need to come together. And so... um no, curious. I, I think I, what happens is like what you're seeing in the Ukraine, getting back to the American debate, right? Is that you're not going to have voices that say, oh, like, I'm a wimp and I don't want to fight. Like, nobody would publicly say that. Like, well, we should negotiate a negotiated surrender. Like, life under whatever this hypothetical enemy is that doesn't exist and yeah. won't exist in our Impossible, lifetime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, oh, life under them won't be that bad. Like, that would be the sort of rhetoric, right? It, yeah. it wouldn't be just a total wimp out. So, and again, you're seeing that rhetoric play out in very, Obviously, I think mishmash form in the United States over the Ukraine thing. Many people saying that they shouldn't have fought. Many people predicting that they would have just rolled over. And again, that's that's not what happened. Since since I was there, the Russians have pulled back from Kiev and effectively retreated. And the war has moved into a second phase, um, which well, uh, it, to me at least is, is very heartening. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had this debate with Sachs countless times now on All In. Where oh, God, Sachs. He's yeah. just like, mm-hmm. you know, like th- these insurrectionists. And I was like, I- in- you mean the people... Who are fighting for the Ukraine? Who are <laughs> defending their land are insurrectionists? He's like, well, eventually they'll be. I'm like, uh, you want to just call them terrorists yeah. for defending like Ukraine? Uh, like, are you crazy, David? And I think the framing is like, oh my god, this could have third order effects on America or second order effects on America, the economy, whatever. So those people should then just live, you know, under a dictatorship, uh, you know, just ac- absolutely acquiesce and. Just so our lot, so our gas prices go down, and so we don't have this distraction to the supply chain because you know chips and cars and self-driving and everything's going to be impacted. Batteries for our electric cars, like these people are fighting for their very existence, and we're worried yeah. about you know the the cost of gasoline. Really, like 
Well, I, I think I think the debate about what we should do and to what extent we should get involved, I think is a legitimate one. I, I don't think That's it's a legitimate. legitimate yes. Right. Yeah. But but I, the idea that the Ukraine, the people of the Ukraine can't the people of Ukraine can't decide for themselves. That's the other thing, right? It's like people saying, oh, that, you know, <laughs> that, you know, they should just fold or it's like the Ukrainians. I, I, there was a poll over 90 percent are in favor of Zelensky in the war effort. Right. He's extraordinarily popular internally, although he wasn't both before the war. He, he didn't have universal acclaim before the war, actually. It's only after the fact most people rally around their leader. Um, what I find interesting, I think, I guess, or a shift in tone, I'm, you know, I think we're all old enough to remember at least the tail end of the Cold War, right? It's sure. like a, a lot of what's, and again, I think the, the debate is totally legitimate, right? But a, a lot of what's being debated, um, you know, funding and backing a proxy war, right? Or some degree of nuclear brinksmanship, because that's always in the background with, with the Russians being involved, right? Like this was routinely done during the Cold War, <laughs> right? Yeah. From backing the actual Afghans against the Russians and their occupation of that country in the exact same way we're doing now with training and sophisticated weaponry to, again, nuclear brinksmanship around, you know, Cuba and, and the crisis there. Like, these are things that so in some sense the U.S. used to sign up for and in some sense doesn't have either the will or the stomach for anymore, which I find surprising. I don't know if that, that argument is actually wrong. Like, we both have the will and the stomach. Like the the level of arms that we're providing to the Ukrainians is is significant and increasing dramatically. I think there's there's certain elements of American political dialogue that made the mistake of supporting Russia over the last decade, and now they're basically just trying to like cover their ass for that. Because for a decade, people yeah. were saying, "Look, Russia is dangerous." Like so, like Russia is super dangerous. We we can't treat them with kid gloves. And people were like, "Well, they're okay." And Trump was like, no, they're not scary at all. And then people were like, oh, they're really with Ukraine. We need to do something about that. And they're like, well, they need to help me get some dirt on my political opponents before they give them any weapons. And then they were like, oh, no, they're not. Russia's not messing with our elections at all. And they're not trying to influence our information at all. And they're totally safe. And like the whole right wing in this country for the last decade has been doing that. And now they're just covering their ass. Because now we see. I don't know if it's the whole right wing. No, no, I'm going to finish the argument. Now we see. What's the truth is because like, right. like an invasion of a country, the murdering of civilians at massive scale, the bombing, the, I mean, the, like the tears that we have shed watching the horrors that are happening. That's truth. You can't deny it anymore. But for the last decade, people have been like, well, it's not so bad. And like now they're just covering their ass. So I don't think it's fair to yeah. say that we as a country don't have the political will. Like there's certain political elements in this country that have decided that they don't want to basically address the fact that there is evil in the world and you can either stand up for that evil or you can basically be an appeaser, which is what the right has done for a decade. By some estimates, over 90% of startups will go out of business in year one. That's why Microsoft created the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. The hub provides founders at any stage up to six figures in resources. Wait until you hear this ridiculous list of perks you're going to get. Technology benefits like free access to GitHub's enterprise tier, up to $150,000 in Azure credits based on your stage and size, technical advice from experts at Azure and Microsoft Cloud, one-to-one -one mentorship from their mentor network, exclusive benefits and discounts from companies like OpenAI, huh? And the best part, there are no fundraising requirements. Unlike others in the industry, the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub doesn't require startups to be investor-backed or third-party validated to sign up and access the benefits. Nope, it's truly open to any founder. And it's not about who you know. Any founder at any stage can get up to six figures of value by signing up 
at aka.ms slash this week in startups. Once again, aka.ms slash this week in startups to get six figures in benefits right now. Where well, do you stand? I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's partially true. I don't think it's I don't think it's the entirety of of the right. And in fact, no. there was there was there was a poll that showed that asked Americans is Biden being too soft on Russia. And in fact, more more Republicans than Democrats agreed. But I think Zach is correct that there is a section of the right wing. And in fact, I wrote a piece kind of railing against them that got me to a bunch of trouble with them for uh, Barry Weiss's thing that, you know, a, a lot of them have been either Putin sympathizers or sort of vaguely pro-Russian in the sort of woke culture war, right? Because, you know, Putin isn't to the whole gender ideology. Putin isn't, isn't into pronouns. And therefore, we should be somewhat supportive of him, which is funny for a couple of reasons. For, for starters, how you can actually look at the Ukraine situation and like gender pronouns are the first thing you think of. It's like, you know, I joked yeah. like Zelensky wishes that his country's biggest problem was pronouns right now. Right. Like yeah. how, how out of touch do you have to be with like the human reality to, to actually prioritize that? And then two, like, it's not even true. Like you look at Putin's Russia, it's not some traditionalist Christian redoubt against Western liberal degeneracy. They, they have a lower church attendance rate than do than, than we do. They have one of the world's highest abortion rates. You know, they have one of the, they have a very low birth rate. Like the, they're not some sort of Christian vanguard against the degenerate West. They're, they're a shabby country that can't even fight a war well without, you know, resorting to sheer brutality to win. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's just a bizarre, it, I find it very un-American in, in many ways. And I, it also, it's funny, in the piece I made the point that it almost reminds me of like the Berkeley lefties that I used to fight 20 years ago at Berkeley that like, they kind of hate America. They, they think America's role in the world is always malign. And then, but as, as, you know, as part of that, by the way, America is responsible for every ill in the world. So, so if Russia yeah. invades Ukraine, it's somehow America's fault. It's like, what are you yeah, talking what, about? What, how did we <laughs> convince Putin to do this? What, what was our right. culpability in yeah, Putin right. amassing his troops along the border and then deciding to go in? Like, yeah, we put a gun to his head to <laughs> invade. Right. It's like, but there, right. there's actually a relatively interesting argument we can make here, which is if you look at Putin's support for the green movement that shut down the nuclear generators all across Germany. That was some like, that was some 3D chess or so, just uh, so, chess. <laughs> so like it's, it's so Putin Putin has actively engaged in manipulating the political discussions of every single country on his border and every country in Europe for his strategic and military gains. He's done it over and over and over again. We 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 have demonstrable proof. Nobody can argue that basically he has not been doing that, consistently doing that, and doing it successfully. Getting yeah, the Germans to shut down agent. all their, their nuclear power so that he could yeah. sell them more gas and so that he could basically turn the Germans into a, a weak, effeminate like response to his his uh, attacks. Is, it worked, right? And so, like, I'm, it's just shocking to me that, like, we can say that that's true. We can all agree that that's true. And yet, somehow, when it comes to our country, we're like, oh, no, no, no. That he's had nothing to do with this country. No, 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 no. He didn't really mess with any of our elections. He hasn't actually, like, he hasn't bribed any politicians. That whole thing with Snowden and Gren Greenwald, even though Snowden now lives in Russia, that was Snowden doing his own thing. And Gren Greenwald, uh, he's not getting paid by the Russians. Like, it's really weird in this country that, like, well, we're willing to say that, like, the Russians are actively bribing and manipulating the information environment. But in our country, we're like, meh, this doesn't happen here. Well, clearly they're doing that but it, it they it ha doesn't seem to be working in this instance so it is, is it though. just 
It is it, working. Well, is he? Is it working? Yes. It's not working against the Ukraine. And no, Ukraine seems a, to be build it, be, be, They seem to be crushing him on the social media manipulation game this time around. But that, but that's actually that's actually not the point because uh. at the end of the day, you can't you can't basically convince the world that when you're bobbing children that that's okay. Mm. But you can convince the world to have basically politicians saying, "Oh, Ukrainians need to negotiate. We need to stop giving them weapons." Like, Got it. and he successfully he succeeded in that. And well, okay, let me ask Antonio, what, what, what do you think of Putin's legendary ability to mess with other societies, you know, quite effectively, and then where he's at now? Because it, yeah, it does I, seem like he's kind of lost his magic touch. I don't know. Right. I've, I've always been skeptical of this. I mean, since 2016, I've been deeply skeptical of people that claim that the Russians threw the election. Um, because it, it seems a, a way of sublimating the fact that Trump was actually attractive to many American voters for a bunch of reasons that we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But I think, you know, Trump probably did win. And if you even look at the numbers, you know, he, he did win. If you look at the numbers behind the Russian influence peddling campaigns in terms of ad spend, in terms of actual reach numbers, they, you know, they, they were nothing in the, in the scheme of things. And so, and, and, but leaving that aside, let's not relitigate 2016. Even if you believe that somehow the Russians created this like social media death star that could literally throw an election. Where did this go? Are, <laughs> how are they not using it during the Ukraine war when it's, you know, it's in fact their economy at stake, not just a foreign election. It seems to me like they're utterly losing. They're completely losing, in my opinion, the social media game. I mean, they, they might be planning feelers like you're saying, but it seems like most of their Death Star is being pointed internally to, to massage their internal messaging, which is important for them. But it seems as if outside, outside, you know, Russia, they've utterly lost it, but particularly in Europe. In Europe, I think Europe, Europeans are actually much more up in arms than the U.S. is in terms of sanctions. You've got the Danes, the Danes, or even the Spanish, who I'm Spanish, like historically are not big into the into the war fighting game anymore, donating like lethal aid to the Ukrainians and promising more, right? Like, I, it seems to me that his whatever influence campaign he's had has lost. Although, I mean, I, I think what Zach might be hinting at is that in terms of shaping German energy policy for the past 15 years, he definitely has. And I think they're probably regretting and rethinking a lot, or hopefully they are. So, um, so but to bring it to th things that we care about, when we talk about technology and we talk about free speech, which is a debate we're all having, we're like, okay, like what is allowed and what is not allowed, and how are we gonna, how are we going to engage with free speech in this country on technology platforms, on Twitter, on Facebook, and there's there's a movement in this country that said, no, 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 free speech is free speech. Anything goes, can go, and we're just going to let everything fly. But the problem is, is if we accept the fact that we have a geopolitical adversary who's using billions of dollars and all of the resources of a, a state to basically impact the information environment in our country and in other countries, if we accept that that's true, which we all do, and we say that like Antonio and I, we both spend a lot of time basically in manipulating the way people think using advertising successfully. And we, we were very, very good at that. And we know that if you give me enough computers and you give me enough money and you give me enough smart people and you let me go use these open information environments like Twitter is, I can influence the way that the world thinks about things. I can basically move the needle successfully. And Putin has shown that he's done that. And so I think we have this really interesting question about like, the free speech absolutists are like, no, 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 free speech is free speech. Whereas people like me are like, look, when computers are the ones that are writing the speech, when it's when we don't know if it's humans anymore, and it's done at massive scale, and we have an adversary who has real reasons to use those computers 
to impact our information environment, we can't just say free speech is free speech because we're no longer in the pen and paper days. We're no longer in the printing press days. It's now computers who are basically manipulating our population don't, don't, and infiltrating our that, thinking. Don't, don't we think that people are kind of leveling up in their ability to interpret stuff? I know when like the ghost of Kiev, you know, no. video started populating, I was just, I retweeted it and I was like, yeah, the chances of this being true are incredibly low, but boy, do I wish that there was a ghost of Kiev, you know, killing every. <laughs> it's just like I don't assume anything is true in real time, uh, and look, people are starting to inoculate themselves against it. I, well, so like that's just a that's just a question of judgment. Yeah. My judgment is is for the average information consumer, they do a pretty <laughs> job. Like, so if you look at the anti-vax movement in this country. It's largely people who have been brainwashed by like garbage information, by mm. garbage, absolute garbage. And uh, so, like, and you, we can go down the list of like, like the various debates we have in this country. And like, there's garbage information that is brainwashing people. And if I was Putin, I would actively be engaging in that like over and over again because, like, with enough computers and enough money, you can move the needle really aggressively. P Putin going to so be I, able to do this I, or not? I, I, I disagree. Yeah. I mean, Zach, yeah. as you know, I yes. mean, ads targeting does work but the click-through rate on ads is still single digit percentages right but it works that's, that's the problem like at the end of the day like so we both know to help you buy we, a pair of shoes no, not no, to no, change no, but, your but, but, but we philosophy. both know we both know that like that advertising at the end of the day is a dollar in equals revenue to the end advertiser out so you put in a dollar and you get yeah. x dollars of revenue back right we both know that that's true and so we both know that the trillions of dollars or not trillions a trillion dollars roughly that's spent on advertising in the world has a net positive game. We know that's true. We both know that that's true. And so you can't make the argument that like, oh, we have like trillions of dollars of value that's but generated by advertising. You can't make the argument that trillions of dollars of value is generated by advertising, but that someone who wants to use the same tools to manipulate the way that we think about things it Antonio, isn't going to get a, isn't going to get a positive result. Because you can't you're make the things. Our, our ROI positive advertising doesn't necessarily translate in, into mass persuasion tactics that can throw the election in a country with a over 100 million voters, right? Like, we both know we both know that Cambridge Analytica was total garbage. It was it was made up by the left, and it was like right. it was absolute garbage. We both know that. So let's not let's not let's not use that. But what we also both know that if you and I were in Russia and you gave us a bunch of money, we and we had a lot of smart people, we could manipulate the way that people in this country thought about things. We could. You if know that, that were that's true, true, we wouldn't go to Russia because we'd make a fortune in D.C., right? We would. It's just and they do. This is active. This, this is right, real. Let me, uh, okay, let, me, let me wrap up with this one question about Ukraine. Oh, come on, uh, Antonio and I want to keep fighting. I can never. No, no, no. I don't think they want to hear us fighting. So. Well, no, no. I think it's <laughs> an interesting discussion, I think. Um, and we've had it a couple of times. But just wrapping up here, the, the Russia was supposed to be able to do all these cyber attacks. They were going to shut down the West. And now it feels like Putin is ineffective at manipulating you know, uh, Western Europe on energy anymore. They're all saying, hey, we're going to, I mean, the Germans are saying we're going to ration. It's too late. Get our, we're going to get out of here. So that that seems like his superpower is gone. He obviously couldn't fight a, a ground war. Uh, and, you know, what what's left here in terms of an exit ramp for him? And, and, and then cyber hasn't happened. So the three things he's supposed to be able to just crush on, a ground war, cyber, and manipulating people, all three of those are coming up zero. But those so are false binaries. It's like saying he's bad at fighting a ground war, but we shouldn't give weapons to these countries to protect themselves. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, what's the future? You know, uh, what, what, what do you, Antonio, since he's been there, what do you think is going to happen if, and, and specifically in cyber, why has, haven't we seen yeah, it? I mean, is he I, saving I that bullet? 
I mean, I think he has shown, yeah, he has shown the Putin regime to be kind of a sham, right? I mean, he can't, he can't keep tanks fueled 50 kilometers from his own border, right? Right. Um, which is not to say that he can't be deployed further afield. If, if you look at, for example, Syria, part of the reason why Israel has been a little bit middling when it comes to Ukraine is because they've got Russia on their border. It's a whole separate thing. But um, yeah, no, I, I think it's been an interesting revelation. I mean, al- almost every Western analyst called it wrong, um, including and especially the Putin stands who are the ones saying, oh, this is going to be over in, in two days. The Ukrainians should just roll over. I mean, they, they've all now switched back to like cultural war topics and they're going to memory hold the whole thing because, of course, they got it completely wrong. Um, yeah. um, where do we what about from, cyber? Is he just not? They, that, that was maybe we overestimated his ability to shut down every water and electrical plant in the West. <laughs> like he was supposed to be able to press a button and we would all lose our power. I, I'm not a cyber guy. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not so a cyber weird. guy. I mean, you have, you, you have real attacks, right? You have like real ransomware attacks. I don't think cyber is totally yeah. fake. But the thought that you can just do it systematically and then turn off power on the East Coast, I don't know. It's always, sound, it's always seemed a little Y2K to me. <laughs> like, uh, you know, yeah. Anyhow. A- any prediction on how, how this all wraps up? In, oh, in oh, yeah. I mean, and what do people I mean, think in the Ukraine of how this is going to wrap up? Well, I mean, as I said, they think they're... I they're mean, in win. terms... Depends what you mean by winning, right? And then it's, it's, and again, they love, particularly again, the pro-Russian people love redefining what winning means. It's like, well, they, the Ukrainians didn't take Moscow. Well, guess what? The Taliban didn't take DC either. And I'd say the Americans lost in Afghanistan and, and Vietnam, right? The question is, yeah. if, if you're fighting a war of invasion, if you're not losing, you're winning, actually, right? If, if yes. you're the underdog if you and survive, you're not, and you you're not losing, you've won, right? Yes. And so, and if you look at the bigger picture of strategically, I mean, the Russian economy has contracted something like 15 to 20% in a month. It's wiped out like 10 years of economic growth in the course of a month, right? The, you know, the, the sort of Putin brand in terms of we can actually do has been severely damaged. They're not going to topple the Ukrainian government, right? The, the thrust on Kiev has been in, is in total retreat. The best he can do now is try to gain ground in the East and in the South, which is where the war had been for the, has been for the past, you know, eight years or whatever however long it's been since since it started in 2014 and so he's going to try to negotiate before peace to get more ga- more ground in the east as part of what seems to be his big mystical crusade for a greater russia or whatever right the russians to the extent i seem to understand you know can understand their thinking they think of the ukraine and belarus if you, if you listen to Putin's kind of terrifying speech before the war it's clear that he thinks of belarus and ukraine and russia as one people that he's reuniting right right and the ukrainians and this isn't the first time if you go back and you read more ukrainian history there has been Ukrainian nationalist nationalism in the past, often very violent, to be clear, um, that wanted to create an independent Ukrainian nation. And that's that's switching into high gear. So, so that, is a dis- that is a discrepancy. It's an empire trying to basically eat <laughs> part of the world and p- that part of the world saying, no, we're a separate we're a separate. He, thing. he literally believes in unification, reunification. It's so yes. obvious like that. He is. Go- yeah. I mean, and then Sachs is arguing me like, oh, it's not reunification. It's like, well, he, he's he's willing to retreat if you give him land. So, yeah, I think that's for him. The prize is getting more land, land and, and actually demographics. So there's this. Yeah, the, he the, wants the he wants to reunify portions of the former but, Soviet but, Union. But it's so a, obvious what he wants, right? I mean, do you doubt that, Antonio? No, no, and also energy is gas fields in the east. So, but yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I mean, p- part of what's going unsaid here is that there, you know there is an interesting ethnic split in Russia, right? The eastern part sure. is more Russian. The western part is more Ukrainian. Um, if you look at that part of the world, the city I was in, Lviv, used to be called Lvov and used to be part of Poland. I mean, borders have moved there a lot. It, it, sure. it, it's a dynamic environment. And it's funny, a lot of these right wingers early on, as, as part of their general calling it wrong, it's like, oh, Ukraine is a fake country. They, they have fought more for their national existence than any Western European country has in 70 to 80 years. If Ukraine is fake, what does that make, you know, Spain, my country, in which I suspect a very small fraction of people would actually fight for that nation? 
right? And so, um, you know, it, it's out of such fires that nations are forged, right? We're, we're, we're witnessing the birth of a nation. One of the ministers whose speech I listened to said just that, th- this is what it is to birth a nation. That's what we're witnessing. And, it's, and this I think is it's what, true. when we went on our, you know, adventures in the Middle East and other places to try to do regime change or create democracies and have people fight for their own existence did not work. And in this case, it's actually working. These people actually, I think in ta- the case of Ukraine and Taiwan, they are actually proud people who will fight and want to be their own state and want to be their own democracy. And, yeah, know. the Iraq thing, th- what irritates me about that is that to, to many American commenters, like the Iraq war is the preface and parallel to every drama in human history. That's it. Yes. Every conversation of American Look what happened policy in Iraq, begins with yeah. Iraq. And, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble seeing the parallels between Ukraine and Iraq for a bunch of reasons. And again, I think there's other parallels in, in the greater Cold War that you could point at that I think are a little bit more representative of how things went down um, than, yeah, than Iraq. Absolutely. Well, we, we hope this wraps up and, you know, thinking about all these refugees. And I think that's one of the great things you can do is go to Flexboard and you can actually just pay and donate to send aid right to Poland. Uh, Chamath did it, I did it, and uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Let's go to a uh, quick uh, breaking news story. Fast.com, the one-click checkout company, which has been in the news a whole bunch of late, has just shut down. Uh, This after trying to raise at a billion-dollar valuation after making general great strides on our mission of making, buying, and selling frictionless for everyone. We have made the difficult decision to close our journals. While you'll no longer see the Fast button at checkout, we are incredibly proud of the team we assembled, yada, yada, yada. We are for grateful to the team. Uh, sometimes trailblazers don't make it all the way to the mountain top. Interesting. Uh, but even in those situations, they have, they pave the way for others. All others will follow fastest tons of bringing one click and headless checkout into the mainstream. Buying online has forever been changed. This is delusional by the incredible team at fast. The dedication, brilliance, and spirit of this remarkable team is unparalleled and forever be the legacy of fast. Oh my God, the mountaintop, is he evoking Martin Luther King in this? I, is that the most delusional statement you've ever read in terms of a company shutdown? This guy's like- Jason, the startups, the status are the new religion. This is what it is. This is, it's a cult. There you go. Yeah, also like when you shut down a company as someone who's done it, the, the yeah. emotional experience is so befuddling. Like you're, you really, you really feel- like not yourself in a way that like you're just totally out of your mind in a way that no drug has ever made me feel the level mm-hmm. of upness that that having gone through that that process so like I, whatever they look they they got their ass handed to them god bless them for trying good luck on their next endeavor and maybe hire a pr person to write that next time but <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it happens it's, this is part of the game it's a hard game Antonio, you know what i know are so this is this when time. i know antonio people are like lost their minds when they're running a startup is when they name their employees like you know amazonians or googlers like if that happens organically and the googlers start calling each other googlers okay that's one thing but when the ceo is like oh fastronauts these are the fastronauts <laughs> who are going to <laughs> is that what it is fastronauts man i think that's what they named themselves yeah. you know like when when they actually name their own tribe and yeah that's not a good sign that is the most delusional statement I've ever read. You were literally trying to make people make rash, quick decisions in buying stuff quicker. Commerce. Give them a break, Jason. Just give them a break. I, I guess I should be a little. I mean, you know, the thing is, it's after all of this. Founders 
they just lost. Enough of like they were going to change the world and they, they blew through a lot of money too they lost the, the, the pain that they're going through will know no yeah. bounds we the last thing they need is you telling them that they're they're bad at writing their we just lost like prps well i, th- I think they'll do better than the people in kiev so <laughs> i think they're going to be okay there's not a yeah they'll be fine uh all right M- moving on by the way, it's pronounced I, Kiev in Ukrainian. Oh, did I Kiev, say Kiev? Kiev is a Russian what? and uh, there's a Russian pronunciation. Oh, is that right? You know, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. so many pronunciation issues here. Like the the Ukraine versus Ukraine. I got that one. But Kiev versus Kiev. Explain again the... Um, I, 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 I'm obviously, again, not a Slavic as best language as you know, expert. Yes. But the spelling, the transliteration in English that the Ukrainians use, which has now become like a culture war thing, is K-Y-I-V. And... In my best Ukrainian accent, which is total garbage, it's pre- it, it is kind of a longer I. It's not, but it doesn't turn into an E. It's Kiev. Kiev. Kiev is how they pronounce Kiev. it. I got it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so um, Elon is joining the board after buying 9% of Man. Uh, Twitter. <laughs> Parag, uh, Twitter's new CEO, uh, seems excited about it. Uh, <laughs> and why shouldn't so- he be? Someone posted this amazing, actually, uh, uh, Dev on Twitter posted a picture of Steve Jobs and um, who was the guy that brought Steve Jobs in? Um, and it was a picture of Steve Jobs joining oh, the Scully. board. Sc- what? No, no. Was, was it John Scully? Scully? No, I thought, no, I thought Jobs brought in Scully, but there yes. was a guy that was, um, no, Scully got fired and there was another yeah, CEO, was maybe a- another CEO, but whoever brought Steve back in after they bought um, ah. uh, Steve's company. Um, and the picture is like amazing. Like the look on this guy's face is I'm f-ed. like, and Steve is just smiling like the Chester cat. Like he's like, I'm about to f-ing take over. And Gil yeah. Emilio. Uh, that sounds right. Maybe that's yeah. I think yeah. he might've been the, he might've been the one who was there when they brought him back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just general yeah, thoughts sure. on the future of uh, Twitter with Elon. Amazing having awesome. uh some influence i mean look the it's twitter positive, has been right i mean twitter has been such a show there we go that's it that's a great picture twitter has been such a show for so long in terms of their ability to ship product like like having elon there to break some heads and fire some people should be awesome super fired up antonio your I, thoughts on uh... i i you know aside from being a genius i think elon is like one of the most amusing people in the world right it's amazing what he's willing to do and how did he even manage to buy almost 15% without the market seeing it? That must have been a whole... Probably well, it was 9.2%, right? I think. Oh, yeah. Or is it a higher oh, sorry, number now? Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, sorry. No, it's no, under no, the 10% no. limit, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, you know, I don't know. It sounds... Uh, I'm guessing there was a private... There were there must have been a couple of private buyers who wanted to clear part of their position and they thought that he would be a... Cr- I'm taking a total guess here. And that there, he would be a creative. So if he said to... if. Goldman Sachs or somebody like that said to a bunch of the institutional holders, Hey, we've got a high profile investor who would like to buy a portion here. Would that you would like to sell market. a piece to them? Uh, they might that would say, move you the know market. what? Even Vanguard owns like less than 5%. Like BlackRock owns less than 5%. Like to buy that much, like that. Oh, wow. That's well done. My, my favorite yeah. part is he filed with the SEC that this was a passive investment as yes. a total you to the sec right before yeah. he joins the board <laughs> which is clearly not passive so he's gonna go back to like like a lawsuit with the well, sec they invited again. him to the board i mean that is he, he doesn't guarantee get a guaranteed seat i think was the concept here so yeah. i don't know i mean I, if i was running it 
I'd be kind of stoked to have somebody that high profile talking about it. It must be getting the troops must be really excited at Twitter. Jack you is know, excited. I, 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 I would think, think should... that would the right people would be excited, right, Antonio? Yeah, I, yeah, I, th I think we should go even longer, Elon. I hold a poll. Maybe we should elect Elon, like temporary Roman tyrant, and just like <laughs> dictator of America. Can we just put him in? Just like put him in the game. Just get Biden out of the picture. Um, maybe, maybe only six months. But maybe we know, we know that doesn't work, Antonio. That tyrant yeah. idea was a good idea that didn't work at all. Like, what are the Romans? What well, was uh, uh, it was on pain of death if the if the tyrant stuck around? Uh huh. Yeah, he, that he worked got the really well. Uh huh. Yeah. Look, hey, yeah. The, the, yeah. the poll yeah. doesn't Twitter polls don't lie. That is the yeah, social uh, yeah, truth. Don't lie. You're right. <laughs> well, I guess everybody yes. wants the edit button. And yeah, so two thirds of people want the or 75 percent of people want the edit button. I don't know why this has become such a religious issue. I mean, I kind of understand it's, that. Yeah, dude, it's, it's the typo. It's the typo tweet with engagement. And then you're sitting there. It's like Sophie's choice. Yeah, do, yeah. I kill my, do I kill my little baby with all the engagement? Or do yeah. I do it again? As you're just yeah. sitting there sweating bullets. That's why. It's infuriating. It's infuriating. I think it should be a three minute limit. You should have a countdown clock of three minutes to change it. And when you change it, um, it should just say edited yeah. version yeah. two and yeah. see previous version. Yeah. And when you yeah. click that, it just gives you the, Super the red line of what words change. So if you said like, I love biden and then you switch the word love to hate and everybody retweeted it like at least people know and then if if you did retweet some maybe that's what should happen is the retweets and the like should go away if you edit it no but well, no, then somebody's choice goes back yeah right right you lose the engagement it just needs to say it facebook solved this problem 10 years ago it just says edited on the post right which even if you don't see it it creates a deterrent effect like the, the yes in midway it's going to like try to pull that game. It's just not going to pull it anymore because it's so easy to get caught. And then you've got an edits button on the upper right. So you can see what the actual edit record is. It's very easy to solve this problem. That's not a problem. Very, very yeah. easy to solve. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know why they don't. Because they're incompetent. Twitter, Twitter has been like, you still can't search. You still can't like search your, your old tweets way back in like a really good way. You like the DMs are still. Yeah, if you can't the, get the advanced of, search right. The list of pretty incompetence on that platform is just mind bending. Like, I would say if you can't, this is my indication of if your service is terrible or not. If you can't get advanced search right, like in 2022, like you should have advanced search. Like it should just work. It's like they, they're making you put in operators if you want to like do search. It's like, can you just make a comprehensive search box like Google and make it work? Or, you know, it actually is assigned DM. The fact that DMs, you can't search your DMs really well. And they just, the DM product would be one of the top. 10 apps in the world if they just got dms right the same the same ideological product the same ideological bullshit that is currently driving san francisco into the hole that it's going into ah. deeply 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 infects twitter and instead of basically saying what's the problem let's fix it and shut the up and get it done and like the, we're instead we're going to basically have a struggle session about it we're going to like we're all going to sit down and we're going to cry it out and we're going to feel each other's feelings and nothing's ever going to get done and twitter is deeply deeply infected by that like, is that because uh, historically, geographically, where Twitter was located as a headquarters? I mean, the culture started the way it is. And yeah. that culture built the culture. That's the Twitter's culture. It's always been that. Culture. Yeah, it's always and been like, that way. Whereas, whereas yeah. Elon basically is famous for having the opposite culture, which is you got COVID come to work. Like, you know, we can have a debate about what's okay and what's not okay. But he has a very opposite culture. So he's, he's going to be the wrecking ball inside that company. All right. Uh... <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know if it'll be a wrecking ball inside of it, but I do think it's going to create a lot of discussion. Like I, I'm every day, every day, 
that he is talking about the product, it's going to be front and center and on CNBC or, you know, in uh, different publications. So and he's, and he's pissed. He's pissed off all the right people, which is what I like about it. Everyone I hate is pissed off about this, which means it's a good thing, just yeah. reflexively. Yeah, well, I mean, there's this, I guess there's some people are making some connection with freedom of speech. And I guess Trump and the concept that Trump is being I don't know, that's a big drum jump to make to Trump that this is about Trump not being on the platform. Let me ask you guys just very simple question, quick answer. Should Trump be, you know, if let's say January six, he's cleared, he didn't incite the whole thing. Should he be allowed back on the platform? Two years later? Would you if you were running it, bring him back? Antonio, bring Trump back or not? I mean, if he's president of the United States, it seems it seems like there's a case for him being brought back merely as a as an official. Um, I, I don't know. You can you can engage in what about us arguments like, well, why is Trump off if the head mullah in Iran is on who's called for the fire destruction of Israel constantly? Right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I find those to be kind of weak arguments. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have a strong feeling on it. I mean, I, look, my feeling on free speech is one that doesn't play anymore, which is the U.S. has a First Amendment, which is incredible. It's one of the most amazing things about this country. And I think the free speech standard around imminent law, you know, lawless action, Brandenburg v. Ohio, which has been sort of the reigning free speech. Basically, if you call for somebody to be killed, that's it, you're out. <laughs> you get yanked. Yeah. But anything short of that, no matter how stupid it is, um, is allowed. And I think, and, and again, obviously, yes, I get it. You know, eighth grade civics know it all that the First Amendment doesn't apply to private companies. But it's, it's still the case. Like, I think Coinbase had a blog post out that, like, morally, we as a nation believe in First Amendment free speech as yeah. like the public moral standard, even if technically speaking, it doesn't apply to a private company. And in general, our actions should be guided by that by that moral value. In, in yeah. my opinion, seems, seems realistic. What do you what do you think, yeah. Zach? What would you do if you were CEO? Trump comes back, Trump doesn't one year penalty two year penalty four year penalty. I, I think one of the reasons why countries empires fail is that they write a set of rules and they create a culture that works at one period of time. And then times change, and then they're so locked into their thinking, they become so static and so ossified that they're unable to innovate and they're unable to accept new realities and a new a new dynamic. And so, in the same way that basically, like gun ownership in this country is is largely or completely basically dominated by a law that was written when you had muskets that you literally had to hand load, and it took like a couple minutes to do that. And now, basically, you can buy an automatic weapon and mow down 50 people in, you know, 35 seconds. That requires us to say, okay, the facts on the ground have changed. We need to change the way that we think about this. It's a long way of saying you keep them off the platform. No, it's a long way of me saying that, like, like we need to we need to rethink. And I don't Mm. know what the right answer is here. This is a hard question. We need to rethink how we think about the First Amendment in Mm. a world where technology has changed the game. I kind of like the idea of, like, a down vote button. It's like... People can get feedback on it or you have a reply case. So if somebody is spouting some bull, there's the law. Like, but what's going to happen to this guy, um, Alex Jones now? He's is he gonna, he, he's destroyed because of all the lies. It took a while for the legal system to catch up. Of course, it's not like uh, an instant snap reaction, but we do have libel laws and, you know, maybe they're not perfect. But, you know, if you do jump the fence and go completely crazy like he did, you're going to be held accountable. Okay, let's end on this. Facebook absolutely got demolished because of the Apple. Uh, changing of the ad rules. You two gentlemen have built some of the largest ad systems on the planet and contributed to this entire uh, discipline of ads and targeting. Can Facebook ever recover from what Apple's done to them? And how 
serious is this um, movement to not track people? I mean, uh, so just just as a, should we do like a 30 second summary of what the f- this AT&T thing is, Jason, sure. for most of your viewers? Because I think yeah. ad tech is one of these things where people can be very tech savvy, but like not know right. how ads work. So yeah. The, the the underlying like reality to all of mobile ads for the past or all ads for the past 10, 15 years is the personalization of ads. And whether it be a cookie ID or a device ID or an email or whatever, the fact that, you know, an individual identity, I know that Zach Coleus, maybe an anonymous form, but whatever, looked at these shoes, bought this thing, did whatever is has been the input to all of this. And what Apple basically said was, look, we're going to have to make it such that if you have an app on our app store, the user has to opt in to giving that level of disclosure to the entire machinery. What does that mean? It means at the end, the code running inside the Apple ecosystem can't pull the device ID <laughs> from the actual device and say, this user did this thing. It's just like, well, then like, how does any of this work? What Apple has said is basically there's a certain number of buckets. I think it's, it's, there's eight bits. So it's like two to the eight buckets, which isn't that big a number, or maybe it's two to the 16, but still not that big a number buckets that you can now bucketize people in and so what it has effectively done is it's made the granularity of targeting a lot more coarse than it used to be kind of resembling what used to exist in late aughts before personalized advertising why does that matter well facebook's biggest fear and i mentioned this in my memoir at the time right i think it's pretty open now facebook was working on some version of a phone it shipped what was like an android skin which was totally lame but their big fear was exactly this right at the end of the day seen from the view of google and facebook Facebook, for all its power, is just another is just another app in the App Store, right? Subject mm-hmm. to its rules. They don't control the handset. They don't control the user, right? From Apple's point of view, their users, they have a first-party relationship and everybody else is a third party. And so they, they finally pulled the trigger. Apple, no secret, <laughs> right, is building an ad system. That's part of what I was hired to help build. And they... I don't think that's the only reason for doing it. I think they legitimately care about privacy, to be clear. Like, oh, I don't yeah. Think it's Certainly just, it's that totally is their... But that's the, but that's the impact selling of it. point Fit, now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. But right. They, but they're We're, they're yeah. selling they're selling basically a strategic like like actual imperative for them, which is the next platform is AR and VR, and the number one competitor for Apple owning the next platform is Facebook. Facebook is investing in that next platform. They are will be the number one competitor for that next platform. Apple knows this. Facebook knows this. Everyone else knows this. So if you're Tim Cook, you're like ah. So my number one competitor needs money. And if I just change one thing, they lose a lot of that money and they can't invest. Then like, boom, like, so it's, it's, it's a very clean fight between the two of them. It's just basically being argued about like it's privacy. But the thing the the thing that is about this is Apple's like privacy, 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 except us. So Apple's ad system does not have that limitation. So Apple has the ability to use that information however it wants. It's everyone else that it's based like, oh, you guys, you guys have the privacy, but us, no, no, we have first party relationships. The only Apple well, ads I ever see is the app store. So is that the beginning and end of their advertising forays? Or are they also going to put it in like news and other places? And maybe they search. do have it in news. They, they, have, they have it in news already. They have it in news already. It's in news. There's ads in news. I didn't even notice mm-hmm. them. It's, they, it's, they're going for search. So if you think about basically on the, your, your phone, when you use spotlight search, which right now is total garbage and doesn't do anything. Like that is the next big revenue opportunity for Apple to move over into services. And, and by bringing a really good ads platform into that with good personalization, which they still need to build, they have the ability to become directly competitive can, uh, with Google in that. I can tell the story. Yeah. Now, when I built Mahalo and I had the first version, I literally emailed it to Steve Jobs. And I said, uh, Steve, you know, we met blah, 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 Weblogs Inc. and Gadget. I said, I'm building a search engine. It's combining Wikipedia content with the top 10 search results. So it'll be like search result pages with images and news and content mixed with 10 links. I sent it to him within 15 minutes. He logged in. 
Hmm. Um, and we spent like half an hour on the site checking things out. It never replied to me, but I've always felt that that spotlight search, yeah. when you search that and it's like, here's yeah. ads, here's web results, hmm. that's comprehensive search. If you ever seen Naver or Daum in Korea, they were the first to do this, which was like, here's news, here's images, here's MP3s, here's apps, you know, here, because now they have news stories and they have the app store. They don't have a shopping yet. They don't have shopping yet. But if they were to buy a shopping engine, oh my Lord, now they're battling Amazon and Google at the same time. But do you think they can, and based on, you know, the sort of chessboard of advertising, do you think they could become a major player in advertising? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that that's that's what they're doing. I mean, that's <laughs> part of, oh, well, Zach knows the story. That's part of, there's a company called Branch, it's founder's company that is building, I mean, they've launched in Asia, so it's hardly private anymore, but they're, they're, they're effectively that for Android. So yeah, that, that search window, that, 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 that pull down search, spotlight search could be improved in a big way, right? Like think about it, everything has shifted from like web, mobile web to, to mm. on device, right? So when you search, you need to search for experiences inside those apps that deep link and go directly to them, right? And that's what really matters. What's an example of that? I, I, search, for, I search for a restaurant in the intermission in San Francisco, and it takes me direct to the Yelp like experience, not some mobile web thing that goes through Google or whatever, through the actual deep link thing where I'm already logged in and can actually uh, pl or place the order on DoorDash or whatever. It is it is the natural extension of all of us moving to an app first sort of environment. So if and I were to type Maui hotels, and I had Expedia, right. and I had my um, uh, Bonvoy by Marriott, you know, yep. program, and I had the Ritz Carlton yep. app, yep. and they all had search results, it would give me the deep link into yes. the app. Yes. Yes. Of those and, pages. Yes. <gasps> right. So, so, so think about now, when you go search those things on your phone, all you get is web search. It takes you to the crappy web apps. And then and you're like, oh, I have the open an app. app. Open and then an you app. have to like, if there's a deep link, maybe it takes you to the app on the store. But like, it's just a really crappy user experience. So the three legs to the stool for search is web search, wow, app search, and then your personal data. So all the data right. that's in all of your emails, on your calendar, in your contacts, all that data that's currently locked up in the phone, that's like not really available in that search experience, but it should be because if it's like, oh, right. I'm searching for a restaurant nearby. Well, if I happen to go to Front Porch on a regular basis, that should be the number one result because I have been the information yeah. that's on the We're phone. We're starting to that. see that. I don't know if you guys noticed, but it, you're, when you yeah. pull down the spotlight search to search for an yeah. app, the four apps that it shows you, and Apple is terrible at like software, generally yeah. speaking, but they're getting better. Those four apps, are somehow geo and time yep. coded now in yep. terms of recommendations. Yep. So when I am in Tahoe, it shows me slopes, the ski app. Mm -hmm. And when I'm near a Starbucks, it shows me Starbucks and I'm noticing more and more. And I, that would be, do we think that's Apple doing that on the phone yeah. where oh, they yeah. know you've loaded the apps before in this location? So yeah, therefore yeah. they're, and the yeah, time. The, 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 the data side of the story is actually really important. And, I, and I've written about this for pull requests before. This is part of what I did at Branch. It's, part of if you read between the lines what Apple is doing, right? Like all this talk of distributed, you know, distributed learning, federated learning, differential privacy, what what all that all those fancy terms mean is that a lot of the user data will stay on the phone itself, which is actually mm. a better way of doing it. If you think about 20 years of web architecture, you've got a fairly thin client, and then everything talks to the cloud, weird happens, and then you get shown an ad or an experience. That's all going away. There's no reason these phones are as powerful as desktop machines were whatever 10 or 15 years ago. There's no reason why you should be hitting the cloud as fast as networks are to do all this computation, you could be doing on the phone itself, particularly when all the interaction is with like, on device native code, right? Like, what, what, 
Again, why are you hitting the cloud when you're actually running like arbitrary code that actually has local database, local logic? And so that, and then that plays into the privacy story, right? And again, and Apple has made lots of public statements about this, like real privacy, here's real privacy for you. Real privacy is not, oh, I have an opt-out button that maybe deletes your unlinked state in the cloud and you don't really have good accountability for it. Here's an opt-out in Apple land. You take this phone and you throw it into the bay, (laughs) right? The data is gone. It doesn't exist anywhere else. I mean, a lot of it is self-serving, but a lot of Apple's PR it's true, right? It is better actually to have a lot of the data on the phone and nowhere else because you are in total control of it. And so that that's which, by the way, so, also happens to improve their strategic position versus Facebook for the reasons yeah. we just discussed. Basically, the algorithm is on your phone made from your behavior and data there. Right. And nobody has access to it. And right. I think that is, I think, one of the main, I think where we've come to in an- analyzing what's happening in the world and how we're being manipulated by the machine is that there's an algorithm that some group of people build and maintain, and then the rest of us suffer through, and we don't have any insight into it. We don't have any controls over it. I think Jack's saying bring your own algorithm to Twitter is like a really interesting concept. And what I would love to see is if I'm going to be algorithmically programmed to I would love. And if we did do some legislation, imagine you open TikTok and they were forced to say, uh, every 30 days, here is what we think you want. Here's how your algorithm is programmed. You know, um, pop music, rap music, uh, you know, male, female, straight, gay, bi, non-binary, whatever. And they just had to disclose to you the metrics of your thing. And then you could either say, don't track these, remove these from my algorithm. The, the good news is, is as incompetent as legislati- legislation has been in solving these problems, Apple and the private market is... A- actively aggressively attacking this and mm. like the great thing is that the, the the genius of apple has always been to recognize the real true uh, clean idea and then to make a boatload of money basically implementing it and they appear to be going in that direction in this and at the same time kneecapping their competitors which is i mean there's oh. a reason why apple is the biggest most valuable I mean, company the, in the world i They're think that super was smart. an insight you had that went by very quick but just to unpack it and restate it so i have it clearly apple is making apple goggles this is going to be an ar experience you're going to see through it you're going to be able to see multiple desktops around your macbook pro floating in the air they want to own that they see ar as the next platform i think we all agree ar has got a shot at being the next platform it is oculus is pursuing vr and then ultimately ar they've already announced they'll have passed through in other words you look through the goggles and they obviously are pursuing an advertising based model so by apple kneecapping Facebook's ability to monetize users in the previous paradigm of social media and the web that limits their ability to have the cash to compete with the goggles in the next platform shift. I mean, what do you think of this as a deliberate strategy, Antonio? I think think it's true. I mean, yeah, no, no. I think, you know, Zuck's whole investment in VR is because to the extent that I understand the man and and the company having, having worked there briefly a while ago, you know, it's, his whole goal in life is intermediating human social life via Facebook, via whatever form that is, right? And it just so happens that this has been the sort of prism through which we've refracted life for the past 10 years. And he if holds in the up future, the black mirror. <laughs> I hold up the black mirror or the, or the blue mirror in the case of Facebook. And, you know, it, if it becomes VR, then he wants to be there um, as well. So, yeah, no, I think that's, that's the battle of the, of and, the future. And to control so the platform because he doesn't yeah. like, he currently is like deeply, deeply, deeply infab- enfeebled because of facebook's dependence on apple and the next platform if he can control the platform then he will be the multi-trillion dollar business and everyone else will be his who will win 
the AR, XR race. Let's rank them. Obviously, Microsoft has HoloLens. Google has announced they've been working on something secretly. Can't count out Google. You got Facebook uh, and you got Apple. I think those are the four big players. Obviously, Sony did a little bit with their PlayStation at some point. They had an uh, VR. Don't forget about China. China is sure a real player. people in China. And they have Magic Leap, I guess, yeah. theoretically doing yeah. something. Uh, although that seems like a little bit fugazi. Yeah. One, two, and three. We're sitting here 10 years from now. We're doing this with AR goggles. I think we all agree that's a possibility that we yeah. might be doing this with XR goggles on. Do we? Yeah, absolutely. There's no I reason why the screen that you look at has to be like an LCD in front of you. Like it sure, can be an okay. LCD that projects on you your You buy eyeball. it, Antonio? I don't, I'm wondering if you buy it. I, 10 I, years from know, now, I, we I, might be wearing goggles now, some of us, XR uh, goggles. You know, the only VR I've tried is actually Facebook's Oculus. They sent me a free headset or whatever, which yeah. in free disclosure, like I didn't pay for it, but our uh, full disclosure. Um, Dude, I don't even watch TV. Like, I'm so yeah. behind. <laughs> You're like, well, I I like better, <laughs> I'm not going to bolt a VR headset to my head. I, I've already spent too much time online. But, 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 I, but I do think it is, it's going to be the future for lots of people. Okay, perfect. So I, we all think I, that. I, One, two, and three. But you, oh, what were you going to say, Antonio? You want to add something? I, it's, it's, it's tangential. But to your earlier thing, I just wanted to... Your, your business about, like, algorithmic choice, I think, is an interesting one, actually. Mm. And I think I'm going to unironically say, just to throw a bomb into the conversation... Web3 fixes this, or at least makes ah, enable. Ah, Web3 totally solves this. Totally. So I put all my preferences on the blockchain, yeah, and then yeah. people read my blockchain yeah. wallet and suck in my preferences, and then make Actually, my... Dan, Dan Romero, DWR on Twitter, had a good thread today in which he resurrected a thread from two years ago for reasons I know about but I can't say about, and he describes exactly what I'm describing, which is, imagine you had a Web3 version of Twitter, which I think is what Jack wanted to create with his project but never actually got to in which you actually do have the sort of data layer existing at a blockchain level. And then at the sort of what's called level two or the application layer, you choose if you if you want a Twitter in which like Donald Trump doesn't exist, you can pick that if you want one where it's optimized for rage, you can pick that if you want one that it's ordered by time, you can pick that. And so it's one way to decompose the data from the application layer. Um, it's yeah. a great idea. Um, br yeah, bring your own algorithm. I would love to have to swipe through algorithms. And if I had one that was like, um, make me laugh or entertain me and fill me with joy, you know, and I could have different people, you know, who are just world positive, I could do that, or just do one that's like marauding capitalists or do one that's incredibly cynical and memes, you could kind of just swipe through the algorithms to program you based on mood that you wanted to feel. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting idea. And it would give you that decomposability you're talking about. So I think it's, I know that blockchain can be very conflicted. And I think there's probably lots of wild opinions here. But there's one thing I think it would be good at, which is, which is this. Among other things, I think it'd be an, ama an amazing ads attribution system. That's that's a whole separate that's a whole separate topic. Actually, Antonio, this this whole debate has been the best example of Antonio talking his own book I've seen yet. Like he literally has inserted. Oh, is, he, is he placing he, bets? Is he placing angel he, bets? He's like, oh. no, 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 no. It's talking his book. I mean, he literally is like, okay, oh, blog the, the, posts the literal this, book. Like, like blog posts this, book? blog posts this, blog posts this. Subscribe to my Oh, by the way, let's talk about my Twitter. Oh, and then now, um, uh, well, yes. no, no, this is an idea. It's yes. not my literal book. It's, just, it's not a chaos just monkey. Just pitch his book. No, no, but Wait, Antonio, how much are you paying for this? Is this a paid? Is this a paid? Uh, Jason, oh, a paid Jason couldn't even tell. Jason couldn't even tell. No, I couldn't no, even I, tell. I, I it's actually, so subtle. I do legitimately. Yeah. I'm taking an interest in Web three, and I, I do think it's there's a lot of interesting applications for it in the in uh, the yeah. paid media and the monetization space. You're pitching ten year old VCs space. on what? What are you pitching, Antonio? So, so Jason, there's this thing called Web three. There's this thing called the blockchain. Yes. I it's know. going great. Web three is going great. I hear. Yes. 
It's the uh, future. Well, it's the consumer everything. side's a little weak, but we're getting there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just impossible to use as a consumer, but the idea that you could say, um, here are all the tweets on the blockchain, and then my right. client goes to a blockchain, pulls those down, right. and creates my reality, and nobody has to pay for the storage of them, and they're always there. I mean, then there's really no edit key. I mean, you're going to have every... I mean, it's immutable, right? And so the idea is if somebody were to dock somebody on Twitter, they will remove that forever. Uh, I mean, the issues blockchain, of privacy I don't know how and they the blockchain, yeah, the issues of privacy in the blockchain are actually quite interesting. There hasn't been that much written about it. I mean, certainly if you look at like basic blockchain, it's completely, you know, irreconcilable with like GDPR <laughs> and right to be forgotten and data deletion things. I mean, I'm sure there's people who are clever about Web3 programming that i am would say well you could write a smart contract that would be an edit feature such that net net you see whatever I'm, I'm sure there's ways to hack around it but but i think there are challenges there and i think there's probably it seems to me like it's two big trains about to crash into each other eventually web3 and privacy and it hasn't quite happened yet but they're getting oh, closer wow. and closer. Never, i've never heard anybody actually bring that up but there is legislation in the world where if somebody uh has the right to be forgotten a story can be forced to be removed under certain circumstances, if it was a false story, for example, uh, or if time period went by. And if or it's immutable on a blockchain lawyer. and nobody's in charge, there's nobody to send the legal letter to. Like, right. That's who right. do you send the legal letter to? Like the anonymous open source GitHub repository? Like, please take the, this down, the, write code. The, to the thousands of network nodes that have copies of the blockchain all over the world. Yeah, you're like, okay, we're going <laughs> to go find out these thousand nodes and take them each down while you take one down, seven more pop up. I mean, it's going to be pretty hard. I well, that's going to be the, I think that'll be the regulation moment, won't it? Like if people I, start I, posting. At some point we're going to get there. But, you know, the, the reply from somebody like Chris Dixon, A16Z, who's obviously a crypto bull, is, you know, can't be evil is better than don't be evil, right? If you make it impossible to actually censor and take down, then the company will never fall into the temptation to actually do it. That would there be could the be, kind. though, a consensus tool built. If somebody were, if the nodes were to agree uh, in some voting that this, this content should be taken down because it's damaging for these reasons, they could have a consensus, which means you would just be building a new arbiter based on a bunch of crypto hackers or opportunities well, but, it, but it'll be but it'll be servers. more democratic than a closed door conference room at facebook say right like yeah, you've, had these you've had these debates for DAOs, like for ens which is the ethereum name server. i did a piece for it in, in pull request the ethereum name service it wasn't about censorship but it was about canceling somebody a core member of their team posted some stuff that people didn't like and he was fired from the sort of real world organizations that ran it but there was a delegate vote i.e you delegate your tokens to to delegates who then vote on certain issues and he did not lose his position inside the team because, ah. yeah, yeah. Well, these I've written about this as well. You know, these cancellation coups work because they give the appearance of sort of popular will and popular sovereignty and everybody being in favor of this. In fact, a lot of, not all, but a lot of the politics are actually very unpopular, right? Um, sure. I think all of, what, 1% of Apple employees signed the whole petition against me, for example. <laughs> um, yes. And so... And so if you actually held things to a vote, most of these cases wouldn't play out like they do, right? And the right. good thing about crypto is that you can actually hold these votes, which not a perfect mechanism, but again, it's better than well, a panic management make, just deciding something behind I, closed I, doors. I can't disagree with you because if it, the, these DAOs that are being formed, these decentralized autonomous organizations, each, per, each dollar of crypto you own in it, each token is a vote. You can give your votes to somebody else to, as a proxy for you. And if all, there's no employee at, a company where somebody's being canceled in your case whatever apple who's going to say i would like to go on record and say i support you know uh what yeah. antonio said in chapter seven of his book but 
they might very much support freedom of speech and your ability to write a book and not and right. be able to make a living, even though they disagree with what you wrote in your book, or maybe right. disagree with the 5%. It's not enough to end your career and make you a pariah and not be able to work at a company again in your chosen prevention profession. Right. Yeah, that's, that's the hard part. It's like it's, it's become so challenging to speak out about things mm -hmm. that are like maybe on the borderline, as we see in San Francisco, like those of us who speak out about the fact that like, our city is covered with addicts, like are vilified. We're like, oh, no, you're a bad person to be to, to, to say that <laughs> this is, not okay. is a radical yes, Republican yes, operative. Ex exactly. Like, Gary yes. Tan. Yes. Gary Tan, the nicest person in the world who Literally just wants our person, city to be yeah. safe so you can walk around it and not have to worry about stepping on needles is being vilified and attacked by like hundreds or thousands of people. And so it's like it's 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 sad. It's like the one that's one of the many scary things about our current dialogue that freaks me out. What do you think? Uh, let's wrap on this Re regulation of crypto in the United States. Uh, obviously, the United States wants to create their own, you know, uh, digital currency. Where do you think this all winds up? What What is because we, we're not giving away the power of the dollar to yeah. a big anonymous system of nodes. That's not happening. So the, the so, end result is super simple. The, yeah, like, the argument that I make and it's, you know, like I'm the guy who basically when Bitcoin was 50 cents, looked at it and was like, this is not going to work. This is a dumb idea and these people are all stupid. And as we both know, sitting at the poker table, listening to our friends be like, this is a good idea. And I was like, no, no, it's a terrible idea. No. And they become billionaires on it. And yeah. I'm, I'm not. So like, I'm, don't, don't trust a single thing I have to say about this. But the way the argument I make is that the Chinese are, are rolling out a centralized cryptocurrency that will work all over the world. CBDC. And at the end of the day, it's it's brilliant because they can say, oh, you want to use our currency to buy drugs? No problem. If it's in other countries, we don't care. You want to buy arms? No problem. If you want to do money laundering, no problem. And so they can directly attack basically the control over currency movements that the dollar system puts in place that the U.S. uses to extend its political power. They can attack that. And at the same time, as that and that truly is product market fit, like that will be a killer app for many, many people in the world, whether it's remittances or buying buying arms kind of the and kind of what us dollars are used for i mean if you're going well, to buy no, arms really, or sell drugs you're getting bricks of hundred dollar bills but you're but saying the digital. Renmin, the digital renminbi digital. will be the digital version digital of that. and that gives them that mm. gives them an attack on the dollar as a reserve currency because huh. suddenly you're like look i need i need a cryptocurrency that, that i can use as as the same way that i currently wire money but without all the restrictions boom they have that and suddenly the Chinese can become, have a vector. They can also confiscate it in 10 seconds if they don't like yes, what you wrote exactly. on your Twitter. So they have full visibility into everything. And so what in their own country, Antonio? as they force all their citizens to use it, they're like, oh, we have full visibility into all your money, everywhere it goes, everyone who touches it. Like the control that they get as a result of this is like amazing. It's truly a killer app. And so the and U.S. government will, will have to respond to that. They'll they have will to have, have our to own roll central their own bank digital and, currency. Yes. And all these crypto maximalists are like, oh, well, we'll just adopt crypto. And that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because the US government is not going to adopt a decentralized thing that enriches all these nerds who got into this 10 years ago. Like, oh, right. oh, by the way, everyone in the US, we're going to move over to this thing, but we're going to go make the Winklevosses more rich. Like, that. That's not going to happen. And so when that well, happens, so that's the, that's the next chapter. Treasury is obviously going to create their own version of. Yeah, digital currency. Well, how do you think regulation winds up in the U.S., Antonio? I'm curious. Uh, well, so I, I mean, I, I think I think Zach is putting his finger on a good thing, right? I mean, I th I think this 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 misperception that you know Bitcoin is anonymous cash and used by malefactors is kind of wrong, and that it's 
the most traceable thing in the world. The FBI busts people all the time, including these YC founders a few weeks ago who were laundering billions of dollars in crypto. It's, it's the easiest thing in the world to track. And, and to his point about the, you know, the, the, the Chinese government, I mean, believe it or not, the Cuban, not that it matters much economically, but the Cuban government is starting with a digital currency as well, because they, of course, they want a level of control in which they basically hoover in dollars, they turn it into this digital funny money, and then you use it to buy whatever. And so, it, you know, it's not necessarily this, it's not necessarily this limitless, you know, weapon of, of economic liberation that it, it, it can be in some sense co-opted. Um, so I think you have to be very careful, right? Because at some point that crypto world touches the fiat world, which is where all these know your customer rules kick in, which is where all this DeFi regulations kicked in. And it just becomes the conventional banking system, right? Like it's not actually this unfettered world. That said, that said, you know, take the example of Ukraine. A lot of people actually who had crypto managed to get money out because they literally walked out of Ukraine with a USB stick and it would be hard to do that with cash otherwise. And so, I mean, again, it, it can serve that way. I, I don't know. I, I tend to be an optimist about it. I think. Um, I think it was Punk6529, who's this prominent uh, Web3 and non-account. He had this viral thread about how crypto is perfect for the United States, right? In the sense that the United States is willing to put up with freedoms like the First Amendment or the Second Amendment that other countries are simply not, right? Like, I think crypto in its full mode is, I mean, the Chinese shut down mining from one day to the next, right? There's no way yeah. you can actually operate the vision of crypto inside China. And, and you know, we'll, like, we'll see. Perhaps, perhaps the US will crack down. But I think it's one area where the West can actually dominate because they're they're willing to put up with that level of freedom that most economies are not. There we go. There yeah. we go. Exactly. That's the one. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, it's would we really have to implement this with a terms of service? Like we're literally going to have a terms of service for money, and the idea that the government has every transaction I've ever done in my wallet with my social security number attached to it, and they know where I'm buying coffee, like, and they know what hotel i'm in at all times i mean this is insane like are they going to be able to subpoena that data so if i don't know if somebody does a terrorist act in vegas this weekend are they going to be able to just go you know what let's just pull up uh usdc uh the the digital dollar let's track every dollar okay let's now let's narrow it down okay zoom in on everybody at the bellagio zoom in on everybody who came in on this day zoom in on everybody who bought ammunition at the, I mean, they're literally going to be able to use this as like a paper trail, but it's going to be in a server at the government somewhere, every transaction in the world, like, or are they going to roll the transactions disappear after 30 days? So I, th I think in the pre US actually has competition world, which is what we've been in for the last 20 years, where the US has felt 30 years, really effectively invulnerable. And we had all these luxury beliefs about like, oh, we can make our world however we want, and we can do whatever we want, and there's nothing threatening anymore. I think it, that argument might have worked. People might have said, oh, no, 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 we don't want a currency that we don't have control, that we, that, that the government has visibility into. But I suspect in the next decade, as China uses the ERMB to attack the dollar, mm. and as we basically face more significant global competitive strategic threats, I suspect the willingness to basically like accept luxury beliefs are, are falling away quickly. And I think what you'll end up seeing is that the only answer for a government, which is about power to have control of is money is basically centralized, um, centralized control over that money and centralized control over that ledger. I don't imagine we're going to go to a world where we say, Oh, we're competing with the Chinese, but like, let's just go decentralized and like, let's just how, push how it do out. We, uh, how do we deal with the privacy issues, Antonio, of like a central currency? 
Well, the, well, that's easy. I, think this, I mean, the standard crypto response is that you use private blockchains, right? You, you use zero knowledge proofs, and, and and there's ways of constructing blockchains such that every transaction is not in fact public. It, it seems like there's been adoption hurdles with that. Like, I think people. I mean, I think this is globally true. People are not as personally interested in privacy as as many privacy commenters would have you believe, <laughs> right? No one. I mean, Facebook is facing usage headwinds, but it's not because of privacy issues, right? Right. And, and I think that's also been true in crypto. But at some point, it'll get to the point where, like, if you're actually getting your your income in crypto or you're getting your mortgage in crypto, you're not going to want to have that be public, right? Right. If but it else, doesn't have to yeah. be public. It can be a centralized server. That's well, I'm even just talking about we have a centralized server. The government having access but we ha- to but it. That's we what have I'm a, concerned we have, about. It's encrypted, and we have a court system. So right now, basically, all this mm. information that flows through the internet is on a computer that the government can get access to whenever the f- it wants, as we know. With the and they already do. So the courts basically are the only limit on the government's access to that information. And so the only difference is which server is it on? Is it on AT&T server, who functionally is an arm of the government when it comes to surveillance? Or is it on the Fed server? Like, at the, the courts can basically say... I'd argue there's a big difference between those two things. Well, well, but that's, but, but that, that's, that's the... Again, you don't believe in the Web3 vision, so you're not considering it in your set of, set of use cases. But, that, but that's the whole point of Web... It's all architected to be trustless, right? Yeah, in but, a world, but, And I admit, it's a little Mad Max and a little paranoid, but in a world in which you trust nobody, not the feds, not the courts of law, not AT&T... How do you actually codify law and the fact that I owe you a hundred bucks without relying on those things that you just mentioned? It's it's a it's a continued well, it's, it's extension of, in a way. It's no, no, it's, it's a continued extension of the nerds basically believing in utopia, and they love to believe in their libertarian utopias because those are really clean and they're ideologically pure, and they're like, I want it to be that way. But my argument is that in the next twenty years, as we face real strategic threats as a nation, there's no way that we're going to say, oh, by the way, one of the most powerful tools of the government, we're going to basically decentralize that and not have control and visibility into that. Mm. And the courts, no one can get access to it. The courts can't get access to it. Nobody can get access to it. I guarantee or I bet you money that will not happen. All right, folks, we'll leave it at that. What an amazing episode. Thanks so much to Zach Colas and Antonio Garcia Martinez. You can follow Antonio GM on the Twitter. Zach Coleus, C-O-E-L-I-U-S, Coleus Capital. Check out thepullrequest.com, buy Chaos Monkeys and listen to it and read it if you haven't. It's hilarious and insightful. And stay safe, Antonio. Are you going to go, are you planning on going back or is this a one-time thing? It's it's tempting. I mean, the party after the Russians are finally defeated is going to be off the hook, I imagine. I'll so go with tempting. you for that. I yeah, will, well, I'm with you for sure for that. That would I, be I think, amazing. I think the next questionable place to travel might have to be Israel and the West Bank, actually. That's going to be the next pull request in the field. Actually. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you are living your best life. You went from <laughs> optimizing advertising on Facebook and Look, eating if I'm not, if not, $27 if I'm not Neiman Ranch hamburgers for free and getting your laundry <laughs> done. And now you've opted into going to war zones to yeah. experience humanity in its most intense spot and buying well, i don't know if you talk about living on an island somewhere antonio is I, I nothing if not consistent. You, do, you have talked about this you live on an island now yeah well this is obviously a big upgrade to my cushy uh you know tech life that i was hoping to lead at uh, at apple but you know anything for the subscriber curve anything for the subscriber curve. but wait i'll do anything for the you, you uh you you don't live there anymore you were on an island oh, the island no no i sold it that's what i sold literally the day that the whole thing blew up with apple i literally closed the sale on the property everything i had built and everything for two years was just gone that was part of the tragedy of it
Uh, all right, there you have it, folks. Uh, we'll oh, but that's such all. a down note. That's such a down note. We should end on an on an up note, Jason. There was there well, was a lot less yelling than I thought than there usually is. By the way, for those, uh, I, I, we, you know, I think yelling. we actually, mm-hmm. you know, getting to the, the going covering a war on a tech po- podcast is rife with issues. But I think the the and the second, which but it was still interesting, obviously, since you got that first hand experience, and then looking at the advertising stuff and the Oculus and, and that whole chessboard, I think is super fascinating. So people got both here, they got current events, and they got deep, deep tech insights. So um, but I think the good news is, we have a dictator who has proven that this could be the end of sociopathic dictators. And this cannot be uh, inspiring for the people of China or the the management over in the communist Chinese part, the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, they they must be looking at what happened with Putin, saying like, do we want to have the West disengage? I mean, it'd be harder for the West to disengage from China, obviously. But every company in America must be looking at what happened just now with Russia and having to shut down their companies in Russia and saying, okay, well, what's the contingency if something happened with China? Okay, how do we make iPhones? How do we, you know, just w- how much of a hit and revenue does the NBA take? Okay, what happens to Chinese movies, you know, uh, Hollywood movies going to China? Like, it's got to be on everybody's mind, right, Antonio? That's, and the, that's Taiwan- the, and, and the Taiwanese, right? Like, how do you fight a war against this massive? What is the public perception of it? I think this is, I, I mean, you know, I hope that war doesn't happen, but it does seem like a trial run for that, that sort of situation. Yeah. And the trial run would be the invasion of Taiwan. <laughs> Taiwan will um, fight yeah. and will be supported by the West with a bunch of incredible weapons. And yeah, I don't know if China is going to get humiliated like Russia. Or the story, the story of this war is the power of drones and technology against basically traditional warfare. Right. Like that's one of the most fascinating parts about the Ukrainians is they've really effectively leveraged like like really basic off the shelf drones and like really low like low powered um, Turkish drones to inflict incredible damage. And so if the Chinese are basically want to go have an, an amphibious invasion of Taiwan, I mean, boom, you put up a so couple thousand warfare. drones and like suddenly that becomes really hard in this new like a warfare environment. So commoditized tech, uh, low cost commoditized tech empowers the guerrillas, the, the guerrilla warfare folks defending their land think of what what taiwan is good at taiwan is good at basically building technology what is what is ukraine showing us technology can defeat basically a traditional army intent on invasion so if i'm taiwan i'm like i'm going to invest every spare dollar i have into drone defense technology to basically defend against drones and to use drones to attack those ships that would like an amphibious landing is very hard in the first place so i think i think taiwan's good I think they're going to. What be do fun. you think, Antonio, about this? Uh, yeah, the no, new I mean, warfare. I, I think it's it's definitely changed the nature of def- of defensive war. I think I think yeah. you still need conventional weapons in the case of offensive war, and that's why the Ukrainians are begging and pleading for tanks and planes because you have to have a counteroffensive at some point. You can't just mire the Russians. But I just saw the news today that there's this new. Uh, it's it's a funny name. It's called the switchblade system. It's basically yes. a back a backpack sized drone, like literally like this big, that you can use to try to take down a tank. Because it's autonomous and, you know, it's smart and it goes up and hits the turret, much like the Javelin anti-tank guided missile yeah. does. And so I, I think it does change the nature of uh, sort of asymmetric defensive warfare. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, you can literally give people a hundred backpacks and just wipe out a percentage of the tanks owned by the adversary. Yeah. And you don't need any, Yeah, these things are uh, absolutely flying shotgun. 
They basically yeah. will circle and then just drop down on a tank and decimate it. Totally. And so you That's do the wild. same thing with anti-ship weapons. You basically build a drone that is the same sort of like drone is missile and it it's not expensive. You could build a ton of them. Like it becomes very hard to have an amphibious landing if you have thousands of those circling your island because like ships are not very strong when it comes so to So literally the missiles. future of warfare is going to look like a Star Wars battle scene where like a thousand totally. droids are fighting a thousand droids just in the air knocking each other down. Exactly. Like, exactly. but, much, I mean, but much better aimed, right? The flaw in the Star Wars uniform is that the aiming technology was always really <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I mean, the aiming technology is worse than we have now. And but like, this yeah, is we can, totally we can warp across yeah. the galaxy, but we can't hit somebody with a lightsaber six right. feet in front of us. Like, right. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty epic. Wow. Look at that switchblade. And, 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 the, and the Ukrainians have been amazingly adaptable. They actually fired an anti-tank guided missile at a ship and actually hit it, according to a video. And just today, they fired an anti-tank weapon against a helicopter. They, they make a Stubna, an actual, um, a remotely fired uh, guided missile that they can actually, they make these great videos. It looks like a video game. Kind of looks like that. And they actually shot down a helicopter with an anti-tank missile because they managed to keep the laser on it while I was moving. It's just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, this is the well, sort of thing you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, think about just uh, a regular drone, like a, a DJI drone hitting a, a Blackhawk helicopter in the right spot could take it down or going into an engine could compromise an engine. Like they, that's the they, fear of people flying commercial drones around airports is that, you know, a well-timed $600 commercial uh, retail consumer drone could could damage a, a plane. There's funny. One of the deals that I did actually with Chris Dixon um, is an anti-drone company called SkySafe. And it's like exactly that, which is like basically like you can use drones to do a ton of damage and uh, you actually need to defend against them as you need to attack. But one of the great articles you should find is there's like this group of Ukrainian hackers who are building DJI drones that will literally carry a bomb and they'll literally just fly them over and drop them on top of basically <laughs> trucks and tanks. And they're successfully wiping out trucks and tanks with DJI drones and like uh, a relative, I think they use a mortar shell. No, I imagine exactly. you're like a, a, a couple of Russian guys who have just been told to go, you know, in, into Ukraine and all of a sudden you're sitting there and you see like a drone coming at seven because those things can go 60 70 miles an hour yeah, and this yeah. thing goes yeah and they just start smashing into your windshield with a grenade in it like yeah. that's they, don't, they just drop they drop a mortar they literally will fly over the top of these trucks with a mortar shell and they basically will drop it and there's there's a whole bunch of really good articles that are coming out about what the what Not the um what the ukrainians are doing it's like next generation warfare here it's All pretty right. cool uh, wow. well let's hope that this resolves and you know we can uh we can, we can have a, uh, you know, dare I say this, uh, one of the few remaining dictators, uh, maybe he can retire at some point and the people of Russia and Ukraine can be free or be their own decisions in life. Yeah. It'd be nice <laughs> if we retired. I'm using a colloquialism. I know. I'm not saying we should whack anybody, but. And the Russians will handle that. They're good at handling these problems. Uh, I mean, that is the one hope. I mean, he, he, I, you got to think Putin is terrified of getting whacked at this point, right? Why does he sit at a table? That's 50 the table's feet getting long, longer and longer. They're going to be behind plexiglass at his <laughs> dinner table. Totally. Like, generals are going to be on one side of the plexiglass and he's going to be like an Uber driver behind plexiglass. Like, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> five stars, please. Five stars. <laughs> Hey everyone, producer Nick here. I want to tell you about the SaaS syndicate. If you're a founder of a SaaS company with a product and market, our investment team wants to talk to you. Head over to thesyndicate.com slash SaaS, S-A-A-S, 
to apply to raise from the SaaS syndicate. And you can join Jason's syndicate of over 9,000 accredited investors at thesyndicate.com. Producer Justin here. No cool startup? Check out OpenScouting.com, where anyone can refer a startup to our investment team here at launch. Even if you don't know the founder, if you're the first to flag a company for us and we decide to invest, you'll get 5K in cash or 10% of our carry. Hey, everybody. Producer Rachel here. Are you an early stage startup that has product and market, some traction, and are looking to raise at least $500,000? Apply today to Remote Demo Day for your chance to pitch to over 9,000 investors in Jason's syndicate. Submit your application at remotedemoday.com. Our next event is on April 27th. And if you want to learn how to invest in startups from the world's greatest angel investor, and no, we're not talking about Chris Saka, then head to angel.university to apply. The four-hour workshop costs $300 and all proceeds are donated to charity. To date, we've donated over $175,000 to various charities and you can see the full list at angel.university slash charity. 